What if you knew today would be your last day on earth? Maybe that's like a cold shower to have that question asked. In America, we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. In fact, I would say a lot of our pursuits are meant to either take our mind off of or to try to cheat death. But it's an important question, and throughout Christianity, it's been a question that many emphasized. The Puritans often talked about death. They wanted to have the end in mind so that their life might be lived in the best way possible. John Wesley, who was the founder of what became the the Methodist Church, and he talked often about dying well. It's important to think about because I think it determines our short-term decisions. For me, maturity is having a long-term perspective. It's not being victim to or prone to answering any whim or impulse. It's not allowing the flesh to control us or to entice us, but it's to think of every lifestyle decision that we make as laying the foundation for the best life that we can live. I have four children. If I knew today was my last day, I would make sure to talk to them and I would say to each one of them, first, you need to walk with Christ. You need to give Christ first place in your life for all the life that you have. Secondly, I want you to take care of your mother. I want you to take care of your brother, Josh, who has special needs. Thirdly, I would say you need to love each other. It's important to have great relationships with your brothers and your sister. And fourthly, I would say you need, if you get married, to marry a Christian. Marry someone who loves the Lord too, so that your house is not divided. You see, I believe when our end comes, we won't be thinking about things. We won't be thinking about jobs left undone. I think we'll be thinking about those that are closest to us and those that we've had an impact on and those who have had an impact on us for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we've come in our study of Elijah's life to his last day. And in his last day, we see a transition taking place. We see from one generation to the next, the torch being passed. Today, it's, I I wish I could tell you I was that smart. When I was planning this sermon series that I knew it would be on the day in which we celebrated our 50th anniversary as a church, but I'm not that smart. The Holy Spirit is that smart. Today, we're talking about Elijah passing the baton to Elisha. Today, we're talking about laying the foundation for living our life the best that we can, for building a church that is a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ that honors him and builds him up in this community that brings people to know Jesus Christ and that helps them to grow in him for all the generations to come. That's what we're talking about today. Let's look to 2 Kings chapter 2. First, it tells us of Elijah's last day, verses 1 through 8. 
When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now, don't you wish, I've wished several times the past few weeks that these guys' names weren't so close together. You've been twisting up Elijah and Elisha like me? I have. Uh, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. <laughs> That's a nice way, a biblical way of saying shut up. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. This last day, very eventful. It's full of a walk, a lengthy walk throughout the hilly countryside of the Holy Land. It shows us that Elijah didn't go out on his deathbed. Uh, Elijah's last day, he was very healthy. He was, he was full of vim and vigor. He was able to take this long trek so it wasn't that his uh, body failed. It was in God's timing that this would be his last day. And we see this relationship, this amazing relationship, this bond that has grown between Elijah and Elisha. <clears throat> Elijah, you remember, called Elisha from his family farm. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And, and from that point, it appears these two had grown quite close. So much so that Elijah says to Elisha at each of those stops, he says, now, you stay here. I'll, I'll go on and do this. And each time, Elisha says, no, I'm going with you. Nothing can separate us. It reminds me of that bond between Ruth and Naomi when they said, today, we are together. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. That's loyalty. That's commitment. Elisha is in this with Elijah through thick and thin, no matter what happens. But it kind of reminds me how people, you know how we do in, in social conversations? We do this all the time, don't we? We'll say things that we really are kind of a test for somebody else. You know, we'll say what we really don't mean, hoping that they say the opposite of what we're saying. Y'all seen that? Y'all know how that happens? <laughs> my my. Dad and his brother, my Uncle Jim, they have this routine that, that all of us kids found hilarious. And whenever uh, one had bought something for the other, the other, or they were eating together, they would have the fight over the check, you know, grabbing the check. Or if someone had bought something for the other, then they'd talk about 
uh, that I'm going to pay you back. No, you're not. I'm going to pay you back. No, you're not. But all the time, they'd have their hand out. I don't want it. You keep it. And eventually, one of them would end up with it. I guess the one who was the most falsely humble would end up with it. But they, they were saying things they didn't really mean. You know? Here, I think Elijah truly means, Elisha, you don't have to go. But Elisha says, yes, I'm going. Yes, I'm committed. Yes, I'm committed to carrying on your work. That's what he's saying. Now, what is it, these three places that he goes? Notice this term, the, the Lord's prophets, the company of the prophets. What it tells us is that Elijah had training schools, seminaries, if you will, in each of these towns. And so Elijah is making a tour of these seminaries, if you will, these places where he'd, he'd raised up some prophets for the Lord. You remember, this was a tough time to represent the one true God because Ahab and Jezebel had made Baal worship the most popular, the most prevalent worship in the country. But yet there were these men who would stay true to the Lord, who would stay faithful, and Elijah was taking his role as their trainer, his role as their mentor very seriously. He had poured into it, built these people up. He was going around in a sense to say goodbye to them. It shows us the importance, yet again, of understanding our major influence in people's lives is, is the way that we interact with each other, the way that we influence each other, not so much what we have. Elijah's last day is spent doing this important task of going around to each and, and to saying, in a sense, goodbye to each. Because it seems somehow everybody knew that this was his last day. Elisha knew it. Elijah knew it. And these companies of the prophets know it. Now, I'm not sure why Elisha says, be quiet to each of them. But I, I think it may be that Elisha was like us. He didn't really want to think about it or talk about death. But yet, that appointment comes for every person. That appointment comes and we live until we go. One day will be our last day. How we live is up to us until that last day. Then we see Elijah's last words, verses 9 and 10. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do before, before you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. This passage, this little story of his last day and these last moments, it has lots of allusions to the Old Testament, doesn't it? When he takes off his cloak and rolls it up and, and strikes the river, it reminds you of Moses, doesn't it? And Moses also had a man he called Joshua who would take after him. And this cloak represented this mantle, this, this prophet role that was, was going to be passed, but that rolling up the cloak, doing this miracle shows yet again that God's spirit is on Elijah. And they cross over to the river. Now it says 50 of those prophets were, were standing on this side of the river. They're on the east side. And, 
and the Elijah and Elisha walk over to the west side. And so they have this last moment together. And, and this question that he has, some commentators, they say, well, Elisha's kind of bold or, or he sounds kind of greedy and give me a double portion of your spirit. I think it's very commendable of Elisha. Elisha. Because what he's saying is, he's referring back to the practice in Deuteronomy 21 where uh, uh, the eldest son of a father would inherit a double portion of the estate. But he's not talking about inheriting land or inheriting oxen. He's talking about a spirit. Elisha was not Elijah's blood son. But what this tells you is that he is understanding that there is a family relationship, not of blood, but of spirit. And he's asking for a double portion of the spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, when somebody had the spirit come down on them, it was not always what we would see as a blessing. In fact, you see in several places in the Old Testament, when the spirit came down on somebody, it would be referred to as a burden, as a responsibility. So Elisha is not saying, give me your spirit so that I can have a cushy life. He's not saying, give me your spirit so that everything will go well with me. In fact, he's saying, give me your spirit because I know that I'm in a line of dens. Give me your spirit because I know that the storms are coming. Give me your spirit because I still live in a place where the king and queen are against what I'm about. Give me a double portion of your spirit. Now, Elijah responds, it's a difficult thing you're asking for. Yet if you see me, what an amazing little phrase. If you see me when I leave, then you will know that you have that double portion of the spirit. Amazing, that phrase. Maybe that's never jumped out at you, but it, it jumped out at me. Such an important principle for us to understand. You see, what he's saying is, Elisha, you need to be able to see the invisible. And really, I, I would say in the world there are two types of people. There are those who only see what they can see and those who see what is invisible. And I would guess that the number of those who see what they can see is far greater than those that can see he who is invisible. I, you can live 80 years on this earth and never see he who is invisible. It's an important understanding. I think giving us a, a, a really a glimpse into what Ephesians 1.18 means. It, it is speaking to this passage. It's speaking to what's about to happen. Ephesians 1.18 says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. They might be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, the eyes of a person's heart. What is that? It's not these organs that see. It's the understanding. It's the ability to perceive what you can't see. It's being able to accept by faith Jesus Christ, to accept by faith 
his Holy Spirit which comes to dwell in you as you're baptized into him to accept by faith and to see not with your sight but with faith. It's in this that we understand and, and begin to see what's about to happen. You'll, you'll see that as Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, as the chariots of fire come to take him home, only Elisha is able to see what happens. Amazing. You see, you don't have to go to Bible college to be able to see the invisible. You don't have to go to seminary to be able to see the invisible. But you have to allow God to touch your heart, to open the eyes of your heart. You have to allow God to reach not only your head, but your heart. You have to develop a faith in him that is unshakable, a faith in him that is trusting him even when you don't understand, a faith in him that will bring a peace that passes understanding, a faith in him the eyes of the heart give you that will enable you to stick true to him when the tough times come, and they will come, enable you to serve even when you feel weak, enable you to save uh, with God's help those who appear unsavable, will enable you to hope when things seem so bleak, this is from seeing the invisible that this comes, and it's available to all of us, but we must, as Paul did, pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, that we may see. Today, what do you see? Reminds me of Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. 27. <clears throat> you got that verse? Not there? Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. Uh, is a curious verse. I, I think often, too, we skip over. And it's one that uh, I think of when I, I think of what he's challenging Elisha to do here. <clears throat> this Bible sword drill, those of you who brought your Bible, and you're probably beating me. My papers are in the way. Oh, Hebrews is not in? No, I'm kidding. You know, you got to be able to think on your feet, don't you? Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27. It says this. <clears throat> By faith, it's talking about Moses, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I wonder today, if perhaps you're living your life by seeing what you can see and not seeing what others cannot see? It's an important question because our, our experience determines our persuasion. What do I mean by that? You know, there's, there are people that uh, sometimes think that I, I don't understand how anyone could believe in Allah. Or I don't believe, I don't understand how anyone could believe in Buddha. How anyone could give uh, their allegiance to Confucius. Their persuasion is powerful and it's from their experience. There are some people who have grown up in an agnostic or atheistic household. It's hard for them to be any different. 
And sometimes we who want to evangelize them, we don't recognize that. We don't recognize that they need to be able to somehow see him who is invisible. Well, how is it that you best see him who is invisible? First, you know about him from his revelation, from his revelation to us in the words of Scripture. And then you know about him by seeing his fruit in the lives who are passionate and living for him, who are led by his spirit. You know by those who are following the invisible. Elijah, Elisha knew that Elijah was special, and he was determined to trust him and follow after him. His experience determined his persuasion. He was going to be loyal to God and to Elijah. And so it is that we have that ability to impact the lives of others. Today I want to share with you that I, I think there are three important ways that you can help others to grow close to Christ. You can help others to hopefully have their eyes enlightened. Sometimes we're afraid to do evangelism because we're afraid somebody's going to ask us questions that we don't know the answer to. We're afraid to testify about Christ because we believe that somebody might reject us. Friends, I, I say this to you. It's not just for the preachers to do. God needs each of us to have an influence, perhaps to win people to Christ or open that door. And it happens often in the same ways. The first is this. Instead of getting frustrated with somebody that's not a believer, maintain a connection. Maintain a connection with them. That is, don't allow yourself to be baited. Don't give up on them. Maintain a relationship. Maintain a connection. So oftentimes we approach it as if we are one time going to give somebody our testimony, and if they don't respond immediately, then we move on to the next. Well, the reason lifestyle or relationship evangelism is by far the most effective way to help others become believers, the reason that is is because it's built out of relationship first, and then you can convey the faith in him who is invisible. Secondly, as you have connection with these people who don't know the Lord, you drop seeds of truth into your conversation. You drop seeds of truth. You look for open doors. I had a great discussion this week in in, uh, our real-life discipleship group about this very thing. And it is in in the real world, it's uh, something that's practical, something that, that you can become adept at doing. They, they might not have your same experience, but as you have conversations, you can bring those experiences in and perhaps change their experience. You see, every encounter, every day we have new experiences. If somebody doesn't know or wasn't raised in a Christian home, then they need to see someone who believes. They need to hear the experiences. They need to hear seeds of truth from one who does know and perhaps then the eyes of their heart might be open in second corinthians 4 it says that satan darkens the minds of those who are open to him those who are not strengthened by the lord he darkens their minds he he darkens their understanding and thirdly 
Keep praying that God might change the heart. Keep praying that God might change the heart. That was Paul's prayer, 118. I pray that the eyes of my heart might be enlightened. Friends, I tell you, it's not a magic word that you say or a magic answer that you give. It is only when your friend, your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, uh, the one in your life that doesn't know the Lord, it's only when their eyes are opened by faith that they will then become a believer Elijah says to Elisha, if you can see me, if you can see what happens, then you'll be able to follow. Well, what does happen? Elijah's lasting legacy is given credence by what happens next. Verses 11 through 15. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and it separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha, what? He saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. He's grieving. He's mourning because Elijah's gone and things will never be the same. We know that if we've lost a loved one, don't we? Life changes. Transitions are hard because we don't like change, but it, it changes. But he doesn't stay in grief. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. You see, he was on the west side and he needed to get the east side. That's where his ministry was. I'd love to know how fast Elisha's heart rate was beating. You see, he believed by faith, but now his faith would be put to the test. He takes up the cloak, very symbolic. He's willing to take the baton and speak for God, minister for God, serve for God. And he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord of God, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left. And he crossed over. The company of the prophets who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Now, if you read on, it says, but they thought that Elijah had just been taken up and moved somewhere else to continue to do his ministry. The company of the prophets didn't understand that Elijah, Elijah was gone. He was gone forever. Elijah joins our company here. Only in Genesis chapter 5 do we see somebody not actually die, but be with God without the dying process. Enoch was that man. It says there that Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. This is a great compliment to Elijah, to his life, that he's taken by God to be in his presence without having to go through the indignities of death. Elijah shows Elisha because, or God shows Elisha because Elisha believes. He believes without doubt. By faith, he sees him who is invisible. And so, when he strikes this water with the same cloak that Elijah did, it parts. 
it shows, and the company of the prophets recognize, that now God's spirit is with Elisha. Our lasting legacy. Fifty years ago, a small group of believers gathered together and decided there needed to be a New Testament church in Warrensburg. And so they began to meet, about 20 of them. We don't still see the church meeting at the old Carpenter Hall. We don't still see the church meeting in a building on Burkharth Road. We now see the church, not the building, but the people. The people who have been touched. The people who have not just believed in what they see, but have lived and prioritized him who is invisible. They have passed the baton to us. As we will pass the baton to someone else. You see, it gives me an urgency to know that my ministry will not last forever. It gives me an urgency to know that that our elders' ministries will not last forever. It gives me an urgency to know that our our teachers' ministries will not last forever, or our uh, associate ministers, or our uh, support staff. It, It gives me an urgency to prepare the next generation. But understand this, if we will be diligent, God will provide. For Elijah, he provided Elisha. So he will provide. Psalm 100 verse 5 says this, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You can understand that. His faithfulness continues from generation to generation. It is not a question of if the Lord can provide. It is a question of whether we will, by faith, see him who is invisible and give him our heart, give him our priority, give him our passion. If I were to die today, I believe I could say that I've given him my best. I hope that's true of all of us. If it's not true, that can change starting today. Maybe God's trying to speak to us through Elijah and Elisha. Father, we thank you for this time to think about life and death, to think about what's most important. For when we have the end in mind, it determines how we live our days. I pray today, Father, that we hear your call. But first, we know you, we've given our life to you, your son Jesus. We've trusted him by faith as our Lord and Savior. If that's not so, help today to be the day of salvation. But if we have made that decision and we realize perhaps we've been living and walking by sight and not by faith, then I pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart as Paul prayed. That we would know the depths 
the riches of our inheritance that is in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to be faithful as others who have come before us be faithful. I ask you to bless this church, which is us, the people. Help us to be faithful for the generations to be blessed. Help us to lay the foundation that touches countless lives for you in the next 50 years. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.